to Evolve Beyond? Yeah, we're back. And right now, we're going to talk about a subject that us messed up human beings bring emphasis on in so many different ways. Some people call it bigotry. Mm -hmm. Some people call it racism. Some people... Call it prejudice. Call it prejudice. Separatism. Separatism. Colorism. Colorism, the new word. I like colorism, though. I I actually, I really, I mean, and it's not to be like new whatever, but I think it's it's smart because it doesn't pinpoint a specific, but it talks about how we're all saying that we're separate rather than we're all the same race of people. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and then when you use the term in that way and you break it down that way, you understand it acknowledges the existence of, yeah. dare I say, different hues. Which we should be celebrating. And that's the thing that's so damn crazy to me. Like, isn't that beautiful? Different hues of color? I mean, like, look at this painting, right? Like, look at all the hues of color in this painting. And that's why it's hung, so that people can look at it and, and, and admire it. Yeah, and understanding that it's the bringing together and the mixing that creates that beauty, that creates that energy, that celebrates our differences. Because Mm -hmm. in contrast, we see a lot. That's what contrast does. And it educates our cultural differences. It educates our cultural way. So we get to explore anew. And this is what helps to recalibrate the brain. I mean, it's been told to me so many times that when we travel, we're actually shifting and changing not just understanding a new culture because we're immersed in it but we're actually being in the different hemispheres we are recalibrating the neuroceptors in our brain Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like taking a different route to work when you've taken the same way every single time Mm -hmm. and so it will be the same thing and so it's interesting how we just don't do it we go through the motions of what we know well we don't practice acceptance of difference Throughout the ages, when you've had a look at the atrocities that our species lays on each other, it's evident and manifests itself in the world that we know today. The most talked about aspect of that is, of course, black and white. But we see it in religions. So it's something that we as human beings do. We, We look at somebody's difference and say... That's a reason not to get on with them, not to like them, not to upset them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will take something like sport, and sport acts as a vehicle because there's a goal, there's a target, there's a focus, and we just want the best people, and we don't care where they come from. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always like that in sport because there was those lines were drawn. And actually, you still see in sport that on the field, they're probably accepting of most people. But in the higher management circles... Oh, I know. There is still... Don't get me started on the business aspects of that. <laughs> but, but this is what happens. It manifests itself yeah. in many different ways. So these pockets exist, and nobody is really unwrapping it, unraveling it, and saying, why? As you know, I work with many black sports players. And so, you know, all over the world. And that's just a happening, a happenstance. But we talk a lot about culture. We talk a lot about racism. We talk a lot about 
what's fair and unjust in specifically their organizations. And because we talk about it, they're doing something about it and they're educating and informing. And that's what I so appreciate about this clientele. But they're not being a victim of it. They're not saying I'm victimized, but they're also recognizing that they have been victimized. I mean, you have to start with a baseline, right? Maybe they've been victimized by their contracts or by how much, you know, like how much they make or whatever the case might be, depending on the organization and who owns the organization. So you're talking about the glass ceilings and the unwritten rules. Yeah, I am. Yeah, and those things. And and, and I hate to say that it sucks because it is, and I'll say it, it's the white man who in this, you know, in specific sports that do own that level of what do you want to call it? Well, it, it's power broking, isn't That's, it? Yes. Yeah, and it's Thank it's you. it's a system that that serves a certain audience. What we've got to recognise is that, particularly talking of a man of colour, our visibility has risen in particularly areas of sport. And when you think about some of the world's top sports, we've become highly visible. But one particular sport comes to mind at the moment, just as we're talking about this subject and that is uh, formula one racing now lewis hamilton okay is the... you just threw that out of the i did not expect that one right yeah 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 all right let's right. go right lewis... I was just watching that too so yeah right lewis hamilton mm-hmm. is without doubt the world's greatest driver ever yeah seven championships the controversial thing that happened at the end of last season right. however he is the still one of the only black formula one drivers and he talks openly mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. that pathway yeah. and what it was like and the fact that the door still isn't really open for that to happen again. So we've seen these things. Tiger Woods did it on the golf course. Mm-hmm. So the Williams sisters yep. did it in, in tennis. tennis. Mm-hmm. And our visibility has given us the opportunity mm-hmm. to now mm-hmm. try and keep those doors open. Uh, but what we need to do is jump into that place whereby we are also at the decision-making end of 100%. things rather than just a participation. 100%. And I think that happens through educating and informing and aligning with. And that's a really, really, really important piece. And I think that that's what I know that there's an organization in baseball that is doing just that. And mm-hmm. that is, it's beautiful. And thank you, Jackie Robinson, for paving the path. We were talking about this. So one of the clients that I'm here to see in England, he was talking about how his grandmother started just giving him jewelry. And he's like, I know she's going to go. She's giving me jewelry. Like, you know, what do you think? And everything else. And it was funny because then I was with my mother and she started giving me jewelry. And I was like, mom, you're not going anywhere. Don't do this. She goes, no, I need you to know the stories behind these heirlooms. And So she gives me this beautiful necklace, a pendant, from the 1936 Olympic Games. And what happened then? Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens. I'm getting chills. And he paved the path. Mm. And this was before World War II. Before gold medals. And the whole thing about the whole games was built around white supremacy. It was. Hitler was there. Mm. My great-grandmother was there. She bought this because Jesse Owens won. And so it's been in our family for however many generations, mm-hmm. but this was before World War II. Mm-hmm. And it's such a huge thing because Hitler was in 
infuriated and apparently left. And, and so the story has been told, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And even having that, that medal, they weren't allowed to wear the, the jewelry. Mm-hmm. My grandmother had heard the story from my great-grandmother. Wasn't allowed to wear the because they would be uh, detained. Mm-hmm. And so it was just really interesting to me. I just love that story. Well, because again, that's, I mean, 1936. Why in the fuck has it taken us so long? Well, if you think about the civil rights movement in the States, oh, yeah. okay, that's only the 60s in historic terms. It's crazy. That's yesterday. I know. No, but, but it meaning that really some of that thinking doesn't go away. It just shows itself in a different way. Mm-hmm. It has a different guise because now you can't all of a sudden bring up legislation that says, right, it's illegal to be racist and expect those people to go, okay, I've I've changed my mind now. They just do it in another way. Take me, for example. I grown up here in the UK. When I was at school, there were no positive images of black people. None. We were told in the history books that we were slaves. That's what we were told. We were also told that our paths, if we're going to have a career, it would be in a career in service. Mm -hmm. Um, So these were things that were, our path was being laid out for us. Right. right? This is where you fit in society. Um, It wasn't until I was 15 years old Mm -hmm. and I was given a book, yeah, C.L.R. James book, and it was all about these black achievers who I knew nothing about. Right. So I'm so glad that you shared that because it's reminiscent of the emotion that was brought up. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a Manchester United game and I was in the box having dinner with this client's family and some friends and this beautiful woman, we were sharing about school and education and we were talking about racism and it was an amazing rumble. And... Um, she was sharing that, she, you know, her descendants are from Africa and like her family was from Africa, but she had grown up in the UK and she was so excited because in school they were teaching her about Africa and what they said and all they taught was about slavery. And the feeling that this woman had in the pit of her stomach and how sick she was, actually she formed an illness as a child based on these teachings because mm-hmm. it's like a curse when people are speaking this over your life like this mm-hmm. is who you are and this is all you can be like what the mm-hmm. fuck is that mm-hmm. it's so wrong but i appreciate what you just said because to hear story after story after story after story and for instance this agent drives a really nice car he works with at least 30 different football players english football players lovely guy super aware is not into drugs or alcohol or anything like that very focused very evolved very educated very in service to humanity and doing things on a greater level and he told me he gets pulled over three times a week yeah i mean my jaw dropped down to the floor. So then I happened to call a dear friend of mine in the States who happens to be black. And I was telling him about this guy um, getting pulled over in our rumble and the whole conversation and everything else. And, and he was really dumbfounded by the fact that it was happening as much as it was over here. Because both, I think, he and I's perception as Americans was that this was a more evolved in terms of 
you know, racial issues because they're more mixed, right? And I, I want to hear your viewpoint on that. But one of the things I just want to say real quick about this guy um, who gets pulled over, one of the things that he was going to do because of this and because of the conversation and everything else is he's going to create an educational platform for the youth so that they understand how to respond to police officers when they're wrongfully or unjustly pulled over without any kind of reasonable cause. And I just thought that was just absolutely brilliant because he's not trying to fight back. What he's trying to do is to create a more positive backlash mm -hmm. to say like, look, like mm -hmm. you're the one that's scary. Like that's why we're always recording because mm -hmm. we don't know if we're going to get beat, mm -hmm. you know, or what's going to happen when we get pulled over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I would love to hear your viewpoint on like the UK or even just Europe versus the United States in terms well, of racism. Well, use, we'll use the UK as a, as a great example. And first of all, what we've got to understand is that this country was built on colonialism. Right. And Ugh. the colonial <laughs> footprint right. is still here. Mm -hmm. It manifests itself in many, many different ways. Mm -hmm. Now, what we need to understand is that very often the Rwindas generation, as we call them, who came over here in the late 50s, which was the, the first real big influx in any big way of people of colour arriving in this country, came here to rebuild what they were told was their mother country. Now, they settled in the cities and the urban centres. So you're not going to really still see in England today many black people sprinkled out into the shires. They're still congregated in the cities. And in the cities, you meet, just by the very nature, you become more multicultural. Mm -hmm. So we are a very mixed array because of that backdrop. Colonialism has its footprint. And we need to understand that a lot of black people, Asian people, people of colour, first of all, came from what we would deem as working-class backgrounds. And as they assimilated into... Mm -hmm society they then aspired to be middle class right and as we've come on and that growth has happened in a very short relatively short period of time so our visibility in those communities has grown however you still have the colonial people at the top of the tree who subliminally are still putting in their policies that when you get so far, there is a glass ceiling and you will hit it and you will know when you hit it. Mm -hmm. It still exists. Mm -hmm. um, things like sport, we've talked about sport as well. Sport was, was somewhere where we could still be visible and be the act in terms of we're out there, we're on the stage. What about the workplace? It's changed. Again, we're more visible in the workplace, particularly our women. Our women are... Uh, well, that's what I was going to say, because yeah. glass ceiling is really a... I mean, in, in the United States, it's very much a feminine concept. Yeah, here as well. Mm -hmm. Here as well. Yeah. Um, but the black male still suffers from the stereotype of being the aggressive kind of blue-collar worker rather than white-collar worker. So there is that manifestation. And to a degree, there are some people who actually live up to the stereotype as well. So those dynamics still exist. But it was all hinged on 
keeping our history away from us. Because we took on this label of inferiority without knowing that we were adopting it. And we did not know that we were kings, we were queens. There are things in our history that we didn't know, we had to go out and find out. I used to be the national football coach for Grenada, the island in the Caribbean. And we had to come up to the US to play the USA in a World Cup qualifier. And I was beside myself with joy to know that they put us up at Howard University in Washington. And I couldn't wait to walk around this campus. And all the buildings were named after, you know, famous black Americans. I was talking to the players, and our players knew, didn't know who any of them were. Charles Drew, first open heart surgery. Mm -hmm. Some of the greatest inventions that the world has benefited from all celebrated at Howard University, and my own people don't know who they are because it had been kept from us. That is directly related to what we see manifesting today because we haven't actually invested in our own history to know who we are, our ancestors, that the paths they trod and why they trod them. Instead, we were given a version of history that was somebody else's version of who we were. And that's why the work that we do energetically, particularly the past lives work, yeah. is so and important. Work. And the lineage work, the lineage is, work. is so important. Oh, so important. You know what I think is amazing? Um, when I talk to some of these younger players, they have no idea that Africa is the mother country. Oh. Like everything came from Africa. Hello. And this is, is my that, existence. This yeah. is what... I see. And it's almost like there are some who actually resent you pointing it out. Yeah. I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. No, I <laughs> completely, completely yeah. agree. But uh, Marcus Garvey said it. People without knowledge of its history is like a tree without roots. Yeah. It can't grow. Brilliant. Can't grow. So, and that's something that we need to do. So our visibility is important. Are listening to Evolve Beyond. So, if we're going to talk about colorism in the United States, one of the things just living in California off and on for the past 25 years and just seeing what's happened to the closest country to California, Texas, you know, borderline right there is the Mexican population, and they don't, they're not given the same opportunity, and they are sort of funneled and focused into opportunities like, or jobs, I should say, like... Based on servitude. Yeah, uh, you know, gardeners, dishwashers, you know, something of that, like, that nature of actually it's more of labor, like hard labor, manual labor. And it's really sad because it's like a rite of passage to get into the next stage and it's some bullshit that there's not uh, more opportunity. Now depending on whether or not they're an American citizen and things of that nature, I understand that there's also laws and, and there's a lot going on there. So I'm not going to get into the political aspects of it, but there still is colorism there and there has been for many, many, many years. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about what you're saying and about everything that we're saying in and around this subject is the fact that as human beings... 
we don't take collective responsibility to what is happening (laughs) to another group because we find reasons to keep those groups in those places. Again, power. about in those ways. Incorrect use of power. Correct. Power is a great thing. It's what turns the lights on. Power is a phenomenal funnel and source of energy. But the misuse of power, which is, it's almost as if we need to be retaught what Mm -hmm. power actually Mm -hmm. means. Mm -hmm. Because it is a form of leadership, actually. Mm-hmm. And we've been led so astray. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and power has manifested itself over the years in many different guises. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, first of all, you're here in London and literally just a couple of miles down the road is Buckingham Palace. Right. Now, now uh. the British royal <laughs> family, uh, well, basically the British Empire was built on the back of the fact that they were the biggest bullies. That was the power base when it originally started. But coming forward, uh, power now is based on who holds information. Right. So it's no longer uh, who's the strongest. Mm -hmm. So power is dealt in different ways. And then when we play it out in our own lives and we see the power bases in the workplace, in the way that we hold power, let's say, even in our own households. It's a model. And as you say, it can be abused. It can be used for no good. And definitely, when we see it manifest as narcissism and the ego comes into play, that also becomes a reason to hold back another race, another culture. And we've had great examples of that through slavery, uh, Hitler, Lots of examples of that. We have an example right now. Russia and Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine. I mean, hello. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes our detachment from another human being's experience can, can, leaves me wondering, do we really care about each other? But, okay, so this is a good point then. Because Russia and the Ukraine, right? I really have to say, and I'm not over there. But I see so much support. I've been traveling all over the United States and I've been traveling all over Europe and I'm seeing constant flags, blue and yellow, and I'm seeing foundations for Ukrainian people and then like, you know, Airbnb support, like house Ukrainians who are displaced. I'm seeing more, and granted I wasn't back in World War II, but I am a descendant, my father being a second generation Holocaust survivor. So there's that, his stories versus the stories of today, there is some movement. I mean, it might be slowly, slowly creeping, creeping, but do you agree that there's some movement of collective, like, I don't want to call it responsibility because it's not about responsibility, but it's, it's a collective... Consciousness. Yeah, um, awareness yeah. that there's a need for us to take care of one another. Yes, there is, but I think that as a... And maybe I'm just being an optimist Well, that? No, you're being an optimist. Are you being an optimist? I think it's a reasonable thought, but what I would say is that we all have perspectives built on our own backstories. Right. And as I sit here, I'm a black person. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have 
a sensitivity around some of the subjects because yeah. from a, uh, for a lot of us, we find that whole thing very selective, that there seems to be gathering more movement around the subject when it's white as opposed to when it's black. Now, whether that's our sensitivity or what, that, that may be a, a fair way that can be levelled us. But it's nevertheless, it's our existence. It's what we see and what we, what we witness. A, a great example would be we're forever reminded of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And, and it's celebrated. Now, I get on a plane and I go to the Caribbean. And I get on a plane and I go to the States. Okay, I go across the biggest graveyard there has ever been, which is the Atlantic Ocean. And my people were lost in there. I mean, it's the biggest level of genocide in the human existence. And yet, when we reference it, it's kind of glossed over. And that can hurt. That can hurt. And, and we almost get told, that was then, this is now, move on. Yeah. Yet, every year we're reminded of the Holocaust. Every year, just down the road in Westminster here, we celebrate the soldiers from the war. But we want to talk about racism. We do something like Black Lives Matter, it becomes po- politicised. So, again, we have this disparity that's going on. And so what would be a way to celebrate and remember? First a holiday? Uh, what do you think? Um, no, a, a holiday is a gesture. I think it needs to manifest itself in what I would call real solutions. A great example would be here in the UK, as I said, built on colonialism. When you go to some of the cities, you'll see there's evidence this place was built on the back of slavery, from the statues that are around, from yeah. the buildings... That's what it was. Now, ultimately, you go to particularly where my ancestors come from, both Africa and the Caribbean, but the Caribbean and the islands particularly. I mean, most of these islands owe money to the International Monetary Fund. This is how they survive. Yet the fortunes that have been built have been built on milking those places. So nobody in this concept is giving back what they took. Now, that would be a real gesture if they did that. That would be, instead, they're saying, that was their missus now, but we still own it. It's still ours. But we'll give you independence, because a lot of those countries are going independent. And when you're independent, you can now come and take a loan of us to build your country. And when you can't pay back that loan, we'll actually come and take the assets off you. So the machine is just feeding itself again. It's just found another way. If you're genuine about healing, you're genuine about repairing, then what you will do is give back what you took. That may be controversial, but I don't give a shit. No, I don't think that's controversial at all. I think that's honest and authentic. Yeah. And I think you have to be. No. Especially with this topic. It's it's how I feel. And that's, that's my existence. I'm sitting here as a manifestation of some of that history, as are other black people. And ultimately, when I go back to my particular island, Grenada, you still see the stamp of colonialism. It's still there. It's very, very, very evident. And it isn't positive. So, and we all want to move on. And we want to move on 
as the species. That's why when we started this particular podcast, we started to talk about colorism. Yeah. And the fact is that we've got to have a look at how that manifests. And where, where do we want to go? What aspect of integration do we yeah. want to achieve whereby we can all be comfortable right. and say this Start is who we are? Start creating some solutions. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Because I look at it and great example here in the UK. I, I was asked the question uh, because some of my work takes me into doing diversity consulting. Mm-hmm. Now, and when you look at going into companies and helping them with their yep. policies that make people all inclusive and that. I said that in this country, I can show you one example where I feel that diversity works and is in full effect in this country. Mm-hmm. And that is, I use the example of Indian restaurants. Okay. Right? In, there's hardly a town in this country right across the UK that does not have an Indian restaurant. It's true. Right? You say you can always get a curry. Yeah. Now, the thing about the curry experience is this, is that if you walk in to an Indian restaurant and you, Amy, or a white British person was the chef or the person who greeted you, you'd probably think, this is an authentic experience. You actually walk into that restaurant wanting to see be served by somebody and who's got an Asian yeah. accent, yeah. who may even talk in his mother tongue to his other people. It doesn't yeah. bother you yeah. because you're getting the authentic experience and you are fully accepting of it. Yeah. That is integration mm-hmm. in effect. That's interesting. I'll use that example. People are blown away when I uh, say Yeah, no, I like that. They yeah. go... I had curry last night. There we go. There we go. <laughs> there we go. But you want that experience because yeah. you wouldn't trust it otherwise. Yeah. If you turn around and go, oh, no, I don't trust it. It's not proper Asian food, yeah. proper Asian experience. Yeah. The fact that we can, you can have that cultural experience well, I... in your own country, yeah. you don't need it diluted, <coughs> and you're not being offended mm-hmm. by anything they do. That's where the integration works. Yeah. It's a great example. So how do we expand on that across all platforms? Well, what I think we've got to do is take the lesson from that particular Mm -hmm. dynamic. Have a look that people in the UK embraced the cultural difference as something, as an experience they wanted to have. And if people start to embrace other cultural experiences rather than stigmatise them, then we're going to start moving moving towards that. If we can just be accepting of each other, accepting of our differences and celebrating them as a new experience. Yeah, right. A learning, a growing, an opportunity for growth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then I think that's the key. I think a lot of the time with, when we talk about colorism, racism and that, we point out the difference and not the solution. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Well, I mean, this is what we were talking about in the last podcast that I wanted to jump in on this yeah. because that's exactly right. And I think it is an opportunity for growth. I think this is where we're, we do get stuck. Not to discount history and not to discount all of the lives that were lost and not to discount the hardships and the pain and all the things, but it's to create a new way from the baseline 
recognizing the baseline, acknowledging the baseline, and then how do we do things different and being honest about that and authentic about that and empathizing with that baseline in order to move on so that we can release those connections and attachments to the story and say, this is the opportunity for us to create a new way of being, of mm-hmm. thinking. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's that's what I'd like to see for the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so look for the book, Opportunities for Growth. Yes, yes. Yeah. You're writing that now, aren't you? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward. I'll tell you what, I might write the forward if you let me. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I will. I will. And, oh, man, i got to tell you, all I want to do is celebrate all the people who have been on my journey with me for all of this. Yeah. All of this back and forth. And this is how we grow, right? Is to talk about uncomfortable situations. And it's super important. It's super important to call things out that don't feel good and to bring light and illuminate all those dark corners and scatter the cockroaches. Be done with that shit already. Like, yeah. let's clean it up. Completely. This, this society is messy. You are listening to Evolve Beyond. We're a flawed species. A hundred percent. And it starts by understanding we are. Yeah. It's also understanding that we actually have more in common than we do differences. Yeah. But what we do is we tend to exaggerate our differences as if there's something to hold on to and keep. As if for some reason it makes us better than those other people. And it doesn't. And that's the construction that I'm talking about. Absolutely. Consistently, like, I mean... It feels so much better when you just let the fuck go. Yeah, surrender. 100%. Just surrender it all. What percentage of your portfolio is is basically African American, African, or, or, or let's say black? I just say black because I've, I've yeah. come to understand. Please forgive me if I offend anybody. I'm not trying to, but I've come to understand that African American is actually offensive. Because that's not... It's not the whole black experience. No, it isn't. Yeah. It isn't. And that's a prejudice we have in ourselves over here because we can, we'll hear Americans say the term African-American as if there are no other black people in the world. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so, and that comes from just being brutalized. So I would say like 85%. Yeah. The percentage of people in my life that are black yeah. or... Multicultural. So, so, I'm going to say multicultural. But I prefer that. I prefer to learn. I prefer to grow. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to not be seen as a white person, quote yeah. unquote. Yeah. And that, that is one of the most amazing gifts on this journey that I have been able yeah. to have. Yeah. You know, that I have not been prejudiced against by... Mm. Because when you just see energy as a heart and as love and as compassion and as all the things of, of like how do I see this person only as a soul mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I don't see anything mm-hmm. else I don't even see the density mm-hmm. of the body mm-hmm. regardless of the color or male mm-hmm. or female but the soul and that expression mm-hmm. and and all these people around me know my community knows that's how I see you know mm-hmm. when when the Black Lives Matter movement happened if I can touch on this I did end up having a number of conversations and <laughs> I remember one of my dear friends is like, shut up. Just really like, this is the dumbest thing. When you don't have to have this conversation. I don't see you as white. And you don't see me as black. It's not a thing. You don't have to. And I just went there just to just to see if I needed to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was basically shot down like, that's just dumb. Well, 
I, I think what happens. And, and, and I'm saying that with all due no, respect. No, but that's interesting. Again. You see it here. You can be in circles, and we're talking frankly here. Yeah. And at some point, there may be some, like for me, yeah. there are some white people who, who I've grown up with in my life. They've been kind of ever present there in the background. And at some point, they, it's almost like they come and apologise for something. Mm-hmm. And, right. and you go, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah, that did, like, it's almost, because there might have been a part of them that's actually bitten into the stereotype in order for them to yeah. make the apology. Yeah. And at that point... That's a great point. You've got to step back from it and just go... You can either be offended yeah. or you can say that's part of their growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. They needed to do yeah. that yeah. and acknowledge it for what yeah. it was meant to do. Yeah. But I, I, Well, I, I do also that. think that we, I think as a white person, acknowledging the fact that there are feelings about this situation and there's a lot of, and for me, it's just like I said about the spidey, spidey sense in our last podcast, like I just sense all of the temperature in the room. So I'm like, let's just have this conversation out. So if anything needs to get discussed, we do that now mm-hmm. so that we can just mm-hmm. put that to bed to rest. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not trying to defend or protect myself yeah. in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying like, it's a, it's a thing. With me. But it manifests itself in a number of ways. I remember years ago, not too long ago, I did a presentation for a group, and it was Black Women in Business, right here in uh-huh. Westminster. It was held by one of the MPs here, Diane Abbott, and she had a forum for Black Women in Business. And I was asked to come and do a presentation. And I picked up on an energy um, from the women in the room, and I'm, I'm the only male. And because... I'd been doing public speaking in other circles at corporate level, mm-hmm. and I'm a, a black man going up there and very often the only black man in the room. I remember at this particular meeting, and because I'd been done it so much, and they turned around and I said, I know what you want to ask me. And they said, what? You want to know if my partner's white or black, don't you? And I said, my, my wife is black. Mm-hmm. And they went, oh. Thank God, because there was a perception that all black men, when they rise to the depot, will take up a white woman. Now, I'm so glad you bring this up because <laughs> it reminds me of the conversation in the elevator. Yes, yes. So go on. No, go on. You tell it. So, um, where I grew up in Boston, and I think Boston's a very racist city, personally, even though it's my tribe of people and whatever else. From the Mayflower. Anyway, I was the first white girl to do a black guy. And I was beat on. But not just from the white people. I was beat on from the black people. And my dear friend, I would call her my best friend, but she was a very close friend. I mean, I told you what she did for me for my yeah. birthday. Like, she's yeah. a very close friend. She ended up coming after me because she was like, stop taking our people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she beat the ever-living crap out of me because she came, she sucker punched me, really. And it was so shocking because this was my friend who I fought tooth and nail for. And I was uh, targeted in the sense because I was white. And the thing is about the story, because we're talking openly about 
our experiences and racism and our journeys, which are real. Yeah, um, 100%. We do have a look at where has all this energy and negativity yeah. come from, mm-hmm. that we have this. When I was 15, and I talked about this earlier, and I started to discover mm-hmm. that the things that I hadn't known about my people and my race, I hated white people. Yeah, I bet. Oh, I hated white people for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely, um, to me, it was abhorrent that you kept this from me. So I went full into, you know, I mean, I was in Malcolm X mode, completely, yeah. completely. <laughs> I can see that, actually. Absolutely. I can totally I, see I that. Went there, and I went there. And, of course, I did also what Malcolm did, which was he found his way to a level space. His thing was once he understood that Muslims came in all shapes and sizes, I turned around and recognised at about 25, after going on my hate crusade, that... Actually, no, not everyone's like that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean there are a good portion mm-hmm. and, I'll be a, and I'm going to keep aware of them. Yeah. But actually, there's a lot of healing to be done in this area. Yeah. And there's a lot oh, of work. Yes. And energetically, this stuff consumes us. Yeah, it does. Because it, it manifests does. in our daily lives. Well, and because, and I, well, not only that, it consumes us because we don't talk about it. We're not real with it. We're not authentic about it. We're not having a dialogue like Michael and I are. And I'm going to be really frank with everybody who's listening. We had this conversation, I don't know how many months ago. And I remember we had to pause because it was so much. And I'm so glad that we waited until we were together to have this face-to-face. And I really challenged you, right, in this department because I think it was so important. And you're a voice, right? Just as I'm a voice. We have to be heard. We do. And everybody who's listening is a voice, and they have to be heard. And if we don't start calling out the elephant in the room, then who the fuck's gotta? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's just it. And, and you've got to stand in your ground. Yeah. You've got to know who you are. Yeah. You, you know, I mean... What your values are, what your belief systems are, and start to get a handle on what is incongruent in your community. Absolutely. And start there. I mean, it's the easiest way. I get rid of the labels. Yeah. Get rid of the labels, people. Yeah. Cast them away, all right? Those labels are something somebody else puts on you. Yeah. That's, right? and I will say, I'm going to shout out to my mom. She taught me that at such a young age, which afforded me the opportunity to be able to be with everyone and never see anything but a soul. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I'm grateful. Thank you, Mom. I'm grateful for that because... Um... Well, speaking to that, just from me, knowing you as I do and knowing some of your backstory, I and knowing the fact that you expressed the story where you took a beating for basically being white. It mm-hmm. did not put you off your associations with black people. You didn't take that and say, this is all black people, this is what black people are like. Mm -mm. You recognised that that was her and that stayed there Mm -hmm. and it did not infringe on the relationships that you had with other black people going forward. No, it didn't. It actually strengthened them. And um, that wasn't the only experience. But 
But um, yeah, no, but it did. It did. It, it just it made me, in a sense, more aware to be even more compassionate and more loving to the hurt and the pain that that person specifically was feeling versus the fact that she was black acting on somebody who was white. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Wow. We've covered a lot. I know. And I'm buzzing. I'm feeling yeah. it. There is so much more we could say on this, but I think there's enough for people to chew over there. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And I just so appreciate everybody who listened to this. I know this is longer than our typical podcast, but I think this is a really, really, really important topic. With what's going on in the world today, because... Whether you're talking about black and white, energetically, it's the same thing Mm -hmm. in terms of we're talking about human relationships. Mm -hmm. We're talking about how we connect to each other, Mm -hmm. what we feel, what we let in, what we keep out. Mm -hmm. We are talking about celebrating each other. And this that's the important essence that you take for this. Whilst it came across as very black and white, Mm -hmm. that's because that's the world as it manifests itself. But what we're saying is it's not how the world has to be. Okay, so here's one thing I am inviting and encouraging everybody, our listeners and yourself and myself, to do is within every encounter that you have with whomever it is, right? Whatever color they are, whatever race, whatever creed, after you're done with your conversation, your interaction, your experience with them, Take a moment, take a breath, and celebrate them when you say goodbye. For one thing that you learned, you experienced, you had, just practice this. It's a level of gratitude, it's a level of celebration, and it'll uplift both of your energies. It will give that person an opportunity to pass that on. And then you get to be the positive reflection you want to see in the world, and you'll feel so good doing it. Fantastic. Folks, Evolve Beyond. What is Evolve Beyond? A podcast that touches on life's experiences and in turn guides you to your greatest wisdom, truth and energetic potential. We are your hosts. I'm Michael Adams, human behavior specialist. And I'm Amy Elizabeth, energy evolution mentor. Together, we dive deep. So you can accelerate your highest evolution and align with who you were born to be. We are asking our listeners to come with an open mind and strongly encourage trying on a new way of thinking to transcend reoccurring patterns and themes once and for all. It is in acceptance and responsibility that we are able to do that for ourselves and our life's path. We invite you to dive deep with us and evolve beyond. Who is Amy Elizabeth? Amy's formal background is in psychology and education, and over the past two decades, she has coupled this with multiple forms of energy medicine to assist her clients in identifying and living their highest evolution. She believes evolution is an everyday choice that we can all access, and her work focuses on assisting you to clear and create pathways to a fulfilling, majestic, and holistic spiritual existence. She utilizes ancient tools and rituals backed by scientific methods to achieve this. Having worked with high achievers, 
influencers, many decorated officers, professional athletes, business leaders and entrepreneurs, she has co-created a map to navigate living the life you were created to live in connectivity, joy and peace. Who is Michael Adams? Michael is a human behavior specialist who focuses on psychology and talking therapies. He is also an internationally respected marketing consultant, mentor, business growth strategist, and public speaker. In a professional career that spans over 40 years, he has practiced in the areas of elite professional sport, corporate business, public and private sector environments. In the past decade, his focus has been in the field of personal development, looking at improving individuals' dialogue with themselves in order to reach their full potential in life. He continues to develop new techniques that can be simply deployed by individuals in their everyday lives. 